to the game of the year, the one we've all been waiting for. There's a capacity crowd here, the conditions are absolutely perfect, with an atmosphere that's really electric. Now the band's just leaving the pitch, and we're waiting for it. Yes, I, I think I can see them. Yes, it's the team. Here they come. Just listen to that roar. You are listening to Four at the Back with Dan and Ken. Welcome to another gripping episode of Four at the Back. I'm Ken Toash. My partner is the late Dan Loney. Dan, we've hit double digits. Did you ever think it would be possible? Well, I think the way we got Stephen Cohen's audience made it inevitable. Ouch. Well, <laughs> last week's show was terrific, I thought. Uh, last week's show? Yes, it was. Almost certainly no credit to me, mostly thanks to the great guest you got and the insightful interview you did with him. Uh, I enjoyed listening to it. And I don't of, often say that about myself. A lot of people did. Uh, a lot of people may have missed it, judging by the stats. Anyway, I don't know if it was because it came out a day late or what, but if you uh, want to go back, please listen to the interview with Shep Messing. You should definitely do that. He was very candid, very straightforward, very entertaining. And many thanks also to Brian Lewis of the New York Post for including a link to the show in his blog. That was very nice. This week, the U.S. national team licks its wounds from Costa Rica and gets ready for Honduras. The debate about club versus country is one thing, but what about league versus lucrative friendly? We'll discuss that. Also, he's a big wheel in the world of little plastic men. National Subudio champion Zach Walker stops by, and Dan gets to go off on David Beckham. Again, that's all coming up on this edition of Fourth the Back. Topic one. We talked last week about how getting a result out of the Costa Rica match wasn't mission critical for the U.S. men's national team, given all the matches that they have coming up this summer and the notion that qualification for South Africa is pretty much a certainty. But, Dan, I'm starting to wonder after the 3-1 loss to the Ticos Wednesday night, that is two pretty poor performances. Well, one pretty poor and one dreadful performance in four games in the hex. And I know fans are going to focus on the negative because now they believe that beating Mexico is no big deal. But did that loss make you wonder at all, what the heck's going on? Uh, a little. I'd be lying if I said that it didn't affect me in some way. What It was the third goal, really, that made me wonder what kind of pregame speech Bob gave or what kind of halftime speech. Uh, he couldn't have been saying, great job, boys. <laughs> Stay the course. We got them right where we want them. Uh, you had mentioned indirectly the El Salvador performance. We were also down 2 nothing at halftime. And we came storming back. This, not that I expected that, but I expected a much better performance in the second half. I don't, I'm not even concerned with the first half as much. That's something you just turn the page on. But to allegedly make the adjustments and have next to no result, in fact a negative result, that is really questionable. That's something that should, should not happen. Well, I thought Donovan didn't look that sharp to me. Question no. was not no, effective. Wasn't. No, and, he wasn't. <laughs> and Torres got a little bit better at the latter stage of the second, uh, the first half, but he was, you know, rookie jitters or whatever. But defensively, I just thought the whole team was really listless. They didn't step to guys. They didn't mark guys. I think Pablo Herrera may still be running around the penalty box on that third goal. So there's a lot of blame to go around, like you said. It was it's shocking across the board, but you had mentioned the defense, and that, again, our hope of getting a point was pretty much to shut out or hold Costa Rica to one goal. And to, they did not step to guys. They did not have a feel for their zones. They were just abused by whoever they were supposed to be marking. Again, that, that I don't want to, launch into a Bob Bradley must-go campaign, 
because that's not how I feel. But that speaks to coaching. That speaks to scouting. In Bradley's defense, he took a reasonably experienced team, and Bocanegra and, to a lesser extent, Onyewu just seemed shocked out there. Okay, now what? Honduras did not play on the Wednesday. Some guys are out for the U.S. because of yellow cards and injuries. Michael Bradley's out. Frankie Hayduck, Brian Ching, questionable. Honduras was the last team to beat the U.S. in a qualifier on American soil. So is it reasonable to have trepidation about this one? I had trepidation about this one last week, if you recall. That's right. Uh, so it's entirely reasonable. You, Frankie Hayduck is 150 years old, and now we're using him as a reason why we're not performing well. I don't think that speaks well of our depth. Uh, Brian Ching is now, by absence, this is the problem with the team. Someone doesn't play in a disastrous performance, and that's what promotes them. We're not seeing good performances rewarded anymore. We're just saying, if so-and-so was out there, it wouldn't have been as bad. Uh, <laughs> that's a little stroll through the player pool and you start to see the the task that Bradley faces, which is, again, another part of the reason why I'm not screaming for his head. But if we lose, well, for a number of reasons, if we lose, he's not going to get fired. But if we lose 3-1, to one, then I don't see how the fan base doesn't start screaming for his head, whether or not the Federation reacts or not. And Bradley's not going to resign voluntarily. So no. We well, after this match, they'll either they'll be halfway through the hex. They'll either have seven, eight, or ten points, and only two home games left. And a big stretch is coming up with the Confederations Cup and then the Gold Cup. It'll be very interesting to see. We will see Saturday. Game time is 8 p.m. Eastern. It's on ESPN and Galavision. And by the way, the timing award goes to the Federation for sending me an email today saying that there were brand new U.S. soccer T-shirts available at their online store. Right message, right person. Wrong time. Did they say, I'm with stupid? No, they could have. I think that's coming out next week. In charcoal gray, no less. Topic two. The tug of war between club and country plays on many an elite soccer player. This week, Toronto FC angered some fans, and not just their own, for moving a league match up two months to accommodate what should be a very lucrative, friendly match against Real Madrid in August. Now, at least one group of TFC supporters is boycotting the Real Madrid game, saying they're opposed to putting their league season in jeopardy for a money grab. I don't think there's any question it's a money grab, Dan, but my question is, why not do it? No reason. Uh, welcome to MLS. TFC supporters, this is, welcome to single entity, this is what pays your players. Uh, we are major league international friendlies with a league to pass the time and to justify paying an annual salary. But, yeah, I guess uh, losing your virginity hurts. It's, I'm sorry. There, there <laughs> are a lot of a less cruel way to put it, but... Any team in the league would do that. Any, any of them. And whoever their opponent was, I, I don't know who they're supposed to play. They agreed to it. New York. Because it's single entity, they're gonna get a chase. Everybody wets their beak. And the other thing is those TFC supporters, they won't be missed for, they'll be missed in league matches. I don't want to run down loyal TFC fans, but for this friendly, yeah, they, Boy, go ahead and boycott it. They will sell the tickets at double the face value to the local Eurosnob. 
Yeah, there are a lot of things that compromise the integrity of the Major League Soccer season, but moving a game uh, for a, a Real Madrid friendly is probably not high in the list. I do feel, in some way, for the for New Yorkers and people who who bought plane tickets, non-refundable plane tickets, to go there for that game and then turn around and go to Azteca, they should be they should do something for them. But at some point, this also becomes caveat emptor. It, it, uh, I agree with you. Anyone who, any Red Bulls fans who did that, and it's entirely, I don't know, is that in the high single digits, low double digits? The, yes, those fans should be taken care of. They'll probably be taken care of with Real Madrid tickets, knowing <laughs> the way MLS works, but it, it goes on beyond this. The, uh, your Home Depot Center is filled every August, and so you have two teams going on the road for three weeks or a month uh, for the sake of the X Games. You have your stadiums being built with enormous stages now. You have Columbus Crew Stadium being, <laughs> being remodeled to accommodate one. Uh, the realities of the outside world have been impinging on us for a long time. And when you have teams willing to take the summer break to play us, that's that's just going to be par for the course. That's the way of the world. Well, plus Real Madrid is the hot chick that MLS will basically forget that it has a wife and kids at home for. Has always yeah, been this way. That's, well, and I support a team whose entire schedule is two games, Milan and Barcelona. Uh, Seattle to a lesser extent because they seem to be enjoying their debut season. But they have, uh, I guess Barcelona coming to town too. And that will be their really big money maker. Especially whoever comes next year once the novelty wears off. You can say it's growing new fans among people who wouldn't necessarily give MLS a chance, and I guess we'd have to start beating these teams three or four to nothing in order to convert some of those. I I don't see that happening, though, because the Metro Stars invite big, big names every year to Giant Stadium, and it hasn't made a dent. I just think this is like the poor. This will always be with us, and we're the poor. Stay with us on the other side of the break. We'll speak with our pick to flick, three-time national Sabudio champion Zach Walker gets ready to make it four in a row. Don't turn off that iPod. This is four at the back. Nice shot, Billy. Oh, he's gotten so big, Sarah. He never stops eating. Oh, that reminds me, I have to hit the store on the way home tonight. Stay with him, Sam. What? More food? No, smoke detector batteries. It's been almost a year since we've changed them. Oh, you know... I've never changed mine. Tell you what, if you pick up Billy from soccer practice uh-huh. tomorrow, I'll get you some batteries tonight. Hey, it's a deal. Change your smoke detector batteries at least once a year. Fire stops with you. A message from FEMA and the U.S. Fire Administration. You are listening to Four at the Back with Dan and Ken. And we can't thank you enough for that. If you do like the show, please do two things for us. Tell a friend, most importantly, and go to iTunes and rate us or leave a review for us. You can find the links to do that on both my blog at Ken.com and on Dan's blog at BigSucker.com. Topic three. So that's a free kick to 1989 Arsenal, and Davis takes it. And go! And that's 1989 Arsenal for 1971 Arsenal nil. Now, you're not going to find a lot of soccer shows that will talk about Sabudio, but we're a different kind of show, and when we have a chance to talk to the three-time defending national champion in Sabudio, we take it. If you're not familiar with the game, it's table soccer. It's a game of strategy and skill. It kind of mimics outdoor soccer. It's been around for decades, but its popularity is growing here in the States. And Zach Walker told us about how he got started. 
they used to sell this game uh, in the United States through you know, Toys R Us, through soccer shops, through catalogs. Um, and my mother actually bought one of the last uh, sets of the USA 1994 World Cup edition in a Sears catalog um, that, that, that when they used to carry it here in the States uh, when it was you know, more live, largely and globally uh, distributed. Um, and just started playing with my brother and eventually um, caught wind of the American Cibudio Association um, got in touch with some some of the players and and created a little relationship and and, uh, and friendships through that um, and then eventually made my way to the first ever national championships not the first ever but my first ever which was uh, out here in Washington D.C. Uh, in 1999 uh, we were taking a family trip out here I was only 16 and my parents allowed us to come out and play in the tournament and it was a great tournament um, held in the middle of a large mall out here and got to got to get my first taste of playing organized competitive uh, and, and, you know, with, uh, with lots of the people who share the same interests and kind of been hooked ever since. The rest is history. Now, do Americans lag behind the rest of the world in uh, Sabudio? The, the, uh, the game was invented in Europe in 1950, so, um, you know, the fact that it was invented in Europe gives them a head start. Um, you know, they've been playing it ever, ever since, competitively, I think, since, since, the, since the game's inception. Um, and obviously, you know, with soccer, football, uh, being as, as, as popular as it is over there, um, you know, the game just exploded uh, in the 70s, 80s, and whatnot. And so lots of people have played it over there. And, and because of that, they, they took it very seriously and started developing circuits and tournaments and championships. And so uh, we've kind of been behind the times in that. You know, now we're, we're really starting to hit full stride with lots of tournaments being organized and, and better organization through through the Internet and the websites and everything and, and, and better forms of communication. So... The, U- the U.S. is definitely an up-and-coming power in, in table soccer, um, but yeah, no, the, the, you know we're still kind of behind, probably in that second tier, uh, behind some of the traditional powerhouses like Belgium or Italy. But, uh, but you know, one thing we can say that, that, that many countries don't have is uh, we have a lot of younger players, um, you know, the age of 19 and under, and so uh, the future looks very bright. A lot of these kids, you know, play nonstop and are growing up with the game. Um, you know, I guess you could say very similar to, to, the, to, the, to the real sport of soccer. You know, uh, we've got a lot of kids playing in this country soccer as well. So I, I think in that, in, in that respect, the future looks bright for, for, for soccer on the real field and also soccer on the, uh, on, on the, on the table. So. Zach, do you find that one maybe has to be a soccer fan to enjoy Sabudio, or do you find that it just naturally happens that everyone who plays is a soccer fan, or is, is it 100% crossover? I think that the game, when you first see it, is extremely um, eye-appealing and eye-opening. I mean, aesthetically, it's just a really cool-looking game. And so um, if you're a soccer fan, even more so, it's going to jump out at you. But, yeah, the funny, I mean, I've met people who, who don't know anything about soccer, who aren't fans, who probably never will be fans, but they love Super Bowl. They're diehard. They'll, they'll play this competitively as if it was chess or something um, or, or as if it was any sport. So um, I, I think you, you kind of find that soccer – Fanatics draw a little more towards it, but I mean, you get a range of anyone, people who like board games, people who like miniature replica games, people who are just general sports fans who stumble onto it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a fun game that kind of spans a lot of different uh, uh, hobbies or sports or, or games and organizations, so yeah, I don't think you really can peg it on one, but, but yeah, I think, I, think, I think, you know, traditionally for the most part, people are soccer fans, but, but it's, you know, every now and then you get people who, uh, who, who don't have that connection, and so it's, it's pretty cool to see uh, it's pretty cool to see and hear why they first got into Sabuti or what it is that, that's causing them what the allure is. So. 
mention this as being a board game, but it's not really a board game like Checkers or Mousetrap. You have to keep moving. You have got to – this is a game of constant action, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is it's, uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty fluid, um, especially when, 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 when being played at a very high level is um, – yeah, I wouldn't say it's 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 as athletic as something like ping pong, but you're definitely moving around the table. You got to be quick on your feet. Um, you got to react and think very quickly. Um, I think one one journalist uh, a couple of years ago from the Washington Post described it as chess chess on caffeine, which which I always like. Um, I mean, it just takes in, into a lot of different things. Uh, it, it's got tactics and similarities to soccer, to chess, to curling, to pool, to um, you know, lots of math involved and angles, and and, and uh, it's just a, it's a fun game that that uh, I think that there's nothing like it in the world. It's very different. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, some people can call it a board game, and I can see why you call it that. Some people, you know, just call it a tabletop game, a soccer game. You know, some people call it a sport. I mean, everyone's got, I guess, a different definition of sport. I don't know if there's there's one set definition. Um, you know, it's, but yeah, I mean, after playing uh, after playing a tournament, standing on your feet eight hours, you know, I certainly. I certainly feel sometimes the physical pain, you know, in the back and everything, which everybody jokes about. So, so maybe you do have to be kind of an athlete to play this. I don't know, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, de- it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a board game or a tabletop game of sorts with a little bit of, a little bit of sports mixed in. So, now based on the half man half biscuit song, I want to know whether cheating is is an issue, especially in tournaments. Can you call dodgy penalties? Can your uh, synthetic supporters be banished from the ground. I mean, can you cheat in this sport, and if so, how? Because I have a set, and I want to know how. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Well, I mean, I think uh, I, I think I think when you come across any game, uh, whether it's a, a board game or any sport or anything, people are always trying to look to push the envelope and, and get advantages, um, you know, where you can. Um, you know, there's definitely some pushing, you know, pushing of the rules and bending the rules and, and cheating that, that you'll come across occasionally. Um, you know, we like to hear, at least in the States, those who play competitive, competitively like to, like to really promote um, good sportsmanship and everything, and we pride ourselves on that. Um, you know, when it really gets to the competitive levels, um, some people will say, like in Europe and such, you see uh, you know, some dodgy stuff going on here occasionally. But for the most part, you know, it's just like soccer. You know, everybody wants to, to, to play fair Everybody wants to win and be competitive, but you know they, they want to keep the integrity of the of the sport and of the game uh, at the forefront. So, um, you know, occasionally you'll see things going on. The, the good thing about competitive tournaments is that that we have referees. Um, you know, if you want to play in a friend in your basement, you can play. You know, you can just play on your need a referee. But once we get to the kind of the competitive level for the national championships, the World Cup, you know, the the, the players referee themselves. You have another peer uh, who's kind of a third party there. So. Um, it always makes sure to keep everybody in check, just because you know some. Not, not saying people are intentionally being dodgy, but sometimes you know players are seeing calls, you know how they how they they want to see it, or you know not necessarily how it is being seen. So um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say it's anything running rampant or anything like like steroids in baseball or something like that. But <laughs> it's uh, yeah. so. So there's no steroid issue. We should be concerned. You as the you, national champion. You know, luckily I haven't been tested yet. It's my secret. But no. <laughs> There's no steroid. You know, I, I inject a little bit into my flicking finger. From t- I'm just kidding. No, there's, there's just no major problems running rampant through table soccer like that. <laughs> Zach Walker's our guest, the three-time defending national champion in the uh, Open Division of Sabutio, and the Nationals are coming up June 13th and 14th in Ellicott City, Maryland. Zach, if somebody wants to get started in Sabutio, where should they go? What should they do? What's the first thing they should do? Definitely go to AmericanSabutio.com. 
Um, it's it's the uh, the center, the main home website for um, our organized uh, association of Sabudio players. Whether you just want to play for fun and meet up with people, or you want to learn about collecting or painting, or or just meet some fellow soccer fans and pot chat on the message boards, that's a great central place to do it. Um, if, if you're looking to purchase some material, um, I definitely recommend TableSoccerUSA.com. Um, I reference Paul Eyes, uh, who's a very avid Sabudio player uh, who's hosting the, the Nationals in Maryland, and he, he runs a fantastic uh, shop there where you can get all types of material, whether it be beginner starting sets uh, for $30, 40 $50, or if you want to get more professional material, uh, you know, high-end mixes, goalies, pitches, etc. So, um, you know, definitely Google the word Sabudio. Most people don't really know the word um, S-U-B-B-U-T-E-O. Um, it's kind of a kind of a unique word with some interesting history, but uh, if you Google that, you'll come up with uh, millions and millions of websites and hits from that. So, and not a lot of people know Zach. You work for DC United as well. Have you got any of the United players turned on to this? <laughs> you know, I, I haven't yet. I have uh, I have brought some some boards in into the office and gotten people to play and stuff. And and I know there's uh, I think I think Tommy Stone, our, our head coach, used to play in college occasionally. And there's you're always finding random connections here and there. there. There's advertisements of David Beckham playing back in the day and Bobby Charlton and, and all kinds of celebrities. So you'd be amazed how many people know Sabudio. Just not everybody necessarily plays it organized and competitively. But, uh, but yeah, those guys, I think, are a little preoccupied trying to stick to the, uh, to the, to the larger scale game and trying to, trying to win some trophies there than, uh, than coming on the small-sided pitch. So. Well, you would think Ben Olsen would have time. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Benny. We're Ooh, kidding. Cool. We're kidding oh. because we care. Zach, good luck at Nationals. Uh, let us know how you do, and everybody go to americansabudio.com. We'll have links to it on our website. Good luck, and thanks for being our guest. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, that's Zach Walker, and that is Topic 3. Topic 4. The calendar has turned to June, and that brings us closer to the much-awaited return of David Beckham to these shores. <laughs> the erstwhile LA Galaxy midfielder gave an interview this week to Kyle Martino on MLSnet.com, where he reiterated his love for MLS and the Galaxy, son of a mother, <laughs> and his desire to come back to America and continue his evangelism work here after six months. Of so here's where I get out of the way and let Dan rant. The thing about this is the league is now playing along, and that is shocking because anyone whose memory stretches back all the way to February will remember that the league played vicious, vicious hardball with Beckham. The, one of the things that sticks in mind was that when Beckham tied the all-time England field player cap record, Don Garber went and said that morning that he had three days to decide whether he was going to play for Milan or for L.A., completely upstaging a moment that Beckham had been waiting for since he was a tiny, little, innocent, great young player. This is how much of a showbiz reconciliation this is. That interview that Kyle Martino did, and it was a masterpiece. I think Martino is a future in entertainment reporting. He only cracked a smile a little bit. He delivered his lines. He didn't think about what he was saying. He didn't think about what Beckham was saying, assuming he was listening. It was just masterful. Hey, MLS, and, MLS Net, would it have killed you to do a two-shot? I mean, seriously, would, yes, it, would it, it have killed you? <laughs> yeah, bro. well, that's maybe they were in the same room. So, I, but I don't know. Maybe the tripod was fixed or nailed, or they didn't bring their own tripod. 
Well, here's the thing. I watched that interview, and about halfway through it, I found myself saying, well, you know, gee, he really does sound sincere, and he really does mean it. And then I thought, he sucked you in, too. I mean, I don't know what kind of Edward Cullen charm thing this guy has going on, but you listen to him, seriously, and you think, oh, he's so nice. He must really need – how much of this is this pheromone-like power that he has over people? How much of it is an act? You, I'm guessing you think it's all an act. It may – if it's not an act, it's because – he is so dim, he can just read whatever's put in front of him. If he's got the attention span of a goldfish, and that's what makes it all plausible for him to say, then it's not an act. <laughs> but for for everyone else around him, and for anyone who's watching, and for the galaxy to welcome him back, that is a little bit less forgivable, because a lot of these guys have already let on that they have IQs more than a checkerboard. So it's going to be interesting to see how good a poker face Tim Laiwiki has, how good a poker face Bruce – well, we know how good a – Bruce Arena is going to, like, snicker throughout the Welcome Back conference. That's going to be worth seeing. Bottom but, line, bottom line, just over a month, the Galaxy plays at Giants Stadium against the Red Bulls. Is he going to be in L.A.'s lineup? Up until that interview, I would have bet the world that he would not be. Now, yes, unless somebody comes through. Where are you, Tottenham? Where are you, Man City? Where, where's the money? You can have this guy. Well, if Chelsea doesn't get Kaká uh, and, and Salati. Yes, yes. Come on. You, you know you want to. Well, we'll see. He is, he is charming, though. Let's go to the emails. Okay. Long-time listener, first-time emailer, Craig in Wisconsin writes, I've been listening since the first show. The podcast is great. You guys do a nice job of presenting a well-thought-out and rational perspective to American Soccer Talk. He obviously did wrote this what before the before is... the last segment. He wrote that before the last segment. Well, he tunes me out. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much, Craig. Tell a friend. A question for you two. Uh, right now, it seems as if the youth academies for MLS teams are in their infancy. No pun intended, I guess. Some teams like the Red Bulls and a couple others seem to be farther along in the process. How long do you guys think it'll take until most... Most teams have a functioning youth academy system where teams are signing as many players or at least a couple from their academies instead of drafting players out of college and relying on the NCAA to develop players. I think it's still going to be several more years before those type of players really make an impact on the first team. I just don't think that MLS's infrastructure in that regard is strong enough yet to pay off three or four years from now. It's a Deep question. What they might do a little bit more of is having a for-profit real youth academy, the equivalent of Little Leagues, but they are competing against a lot of long-established, long-established, I'm thinking of L.A., but they're, they've been around for decades here, turning out pros roughly at the rate of once every 20 years. It's a totally different mindset, the youth uh the real youth system. As far as what we think of as a youth academy, what they have in France and England, oh, that all depends on the league being seriously profitable. All right. Uh, well, thanks for the email there, Craig. Uh, Matt from Maryland writes, just caught your podcast for the first time. Nice work. I've always liked Shep Messing. He wasn't a mindless homer while doing the Metro's New York Red Bulls broadcast, and his appearance on your show made me respect him all the more. Interesting show. I'll keep checking it out, he says. Thank you, Matt. Please do. And Matthew in Austin, Texas writes, just a quick note to say I've really enjoyed the podcast over the last couple of episodes. It's nice to listen to a podcast that focuses on U.S. soccer, which isn't brainless. 
unlike a two-hour daily cast from L.A. Those are his words. I'd love to see more discussion on USL, specifically USL1. Obviously, I'm very biased since a number of my supporters are listening to your podcast and are supporters of the Austin Aztecs. We're USL friendly here, Matthew, and yes, we do need to talk more about USL1 as the summer goes on, and we will. All right, please send us your emails. We do appreciate them. What's the email address? The email address is podcast at ken.com. That's podcast at ken.com. Send us your thoughts, your likes, your dislikes, your suggestions. Send us an MP3 file of your comments if you like, and we'll put you on the show. Again, that is podcast at ken.com. Okay, once again, it's time for the lightning round. 30 seconds on the clock, please. First answer that comes to your mind. Dan, ready? Yes. Here we go. By how many games will the L.A. Soul win the WPS regular season? Only two. Only one of them is his son, but if Bob Bradley could disown one U.S. player today, who would it be? Think of them more as pets, and think old yeller. Who do you like in the Seattle Chivas USA rematch Saturday? Seattle. Who's been in the same room with David Beckham more recently, Victoria Beckham or Kyle Martino? Is it liable to mention that Hungarian nude model that was in the tabloids a couple weeks ago? Because, you know, I'm just saying. And I think that's it, Dad. Any final thoughts? No. Many thanks to Zach Walker. Good luck at Nationals. Thanks to all of you for listening. Tell a friend about us. And stay in school, kids. I know it's summertime, but just don't quit school. Work with me on this. We'll be back next week. Until then, for Dan Loney, I'm Ken Tomash, and this has been Four at the Back. Well, there it is. A match that had everything, and one that certainly lived up to its promise. It's only a pity that somebody usually has to lose. But there's always another day, another great match to be drawn, lost, or won, when we'll join you again.